Good evening. It's great to see you guys. Two weeks from tonight, or two weeks from now on Wednesday night, we're having a special children's program in here from 6 till 7. Now, everybody in here is absolutely welcome. And if you got kids, you need to be in here with those kids. And my guess is it will be energetic. Would you agree with that? And some of you need a little aerobic, energetic worship. Amen? <laughs> yes, you do. So I'm telling you, it'll be fun, it'll be exciting, and I hope you can be here and be a part of that. R.G. Lee was a famous preacher in the, uh, the 20th century. How many of you have heard that name, know that name? He preached one of, the, uh, one of the most famous sermons in the last 150 years. It was called Payday Someday. It was about Ahab and Jezebel and how that... They were the king and queen, but sooner or later, God got them, and God did get them in a big, big way. A lot of young preachers wanted to go and spend time with him because he was famous. He was a great preacher. He was well-known. And one young man tells a story of getting to go and talk to Dr. Lee. He got to go in and spend about 20 minutes with him. And he was visiting with him, and it was about time to go. He's picking his brain. He was writing everything down, and he said, Dr. Lee, I have one final question. Now, Dr. Lee was a, a serious Southern gentleman. He said, Dr. Lee, what is the last thing you do before you step out to preach? What is the last thing you do before you step out to preach? He thought he was going to say, well, I look to heaven, and I lift my hand and say, God bless me, or I go over some verse, or I pat my Bible and say, God, use the Word of God through me tonight. He looked at the young man. He said, I check my zipper. As a person who's been in the pulpit many years, let me tell you, Methodists and Presbyterians are wise wearing a robe because they never have to worry about that. We're in Malachi chapter 2 tonight. We're going to talk about preachers, and you're going, ugh. We're going to talk about teachers, Sunday school teachers. We call Sunday school connection groups here. Uh, so that's our small group. We also have small groups. We have people who teach in that. We have people here who are preachers and who are going to be preachers and teachers. You work with youth, you work with young people. So this message is uh, for all of us this evening. And some of you, you need to be discerning on what, what to look for in a preacher or a teacher because it's very, very, very important stuff. Let's begin with this. Preachers and teachers must be fundamentally sound. You don't need a clown preaching and teaching. You need someone who is fundamentally Sam, we're going to explain that more. Verse 5 in chapter 2, the purpose of my covenant with the Levites was to bring life and peace, and that is what I gave them. This required reverence from them, and they greatly revered me and stood in awe of my name. Just a quick review from last week, if you were here Sunday morning, that this was written after the Jewish people had returned from Babylonian exile. They may have been back in Jerusalem a hundred plus years now. Uh, the temple had been rebuilt, and we believe maybe Malachi was writing and preaching uh, in between Nehemiah, the wall builders, two terms as governor. But things aren't good in paradise. The Jewish people are under Persian rule the morals are not good. The morale of the people is not good. Spiritually, things aren't good. 
and the priest are, are not being who they should be. Now, a, a priest mentioned here is a Levite, but it's a, uh, even a special type of Levite. Uh, these were the ministers of God. These guys were the ones who offered sacrifices. They were also the ones who preached and taught. In some ways, we would say that correlates to our, our pastor, except they had a more of a mediator role between God and man, obviously, with the sacrifices. But again, this would apply, I think, because the same things are taught in the New Testament to anybody who's going to teach or speak the Word of God, man or woman, young person or older person. The Levites were special in God's eye. He chose them uh, from the 12 tribes. These were going to be his ministers. And from the Levites, he chose from the bloodline of Aaron to be the priest. They had a super important task, but, man, they were messing it up and doing a horrible job with what they were called to do. And God's calling them to task tonight. But in this, for you and me, I think we see, we see what God expects from people who bring the Word of God. Whether it's a preacher, whether it's a guest preacher, whether it's you teaching a Bible study class, whether it's you teaching a young people's class or teaching a, a, a small group, whatever it is, I think it applies to all of us. So what does it mean to be fundamentally sound? Let's look at four things this passage says. Number one, you need to grasp, we've got to grasp what we're doing. If you're going to preach or teach or you're going to have someone preaching or teaching, they need to have some understanding of what they are doing. Would you agree with that? Verse 5, it says, the purpose of my covenant, my agreement with the Levites was to bring life and peace. Man, I wanted to use them to bring the great things that they need for now and for eternity. This is why I gave them. This is what I gave them. This required reverence from them, and they greatly revered me, and they stood in awe of me. The, the work of preaching and teaching every Sunday morning or Wednesday night for, for many of you is a joyful thing, but a serious thing. Now, don't, don't get serious and uptight, confused. Some people... They, they, they're serious about all the wrong things. I mean, they never laugh. They're never happy. You know. But they don't win anybody to Christ, and they're not making a difference for the kingdom of God. They're just mad for the Messiah, and they're unhappy, holy people, right? There's a difference in, in understanding what you're doing is serious work, but it's also joyful work. See, if you want to teach... A Bible study class, it always amazes me. Some, not, not in our church, but I'll hear this. Okay. So-and-so's got a Bible study they're teaching somewhere. What? Why? Well, I, you know why? Because you, you get a platform, you become kind of popular, don't you? Don't ever, don't ever want to teach a class. Don't ever want to preach. I tell you, don't, don't, don't ever want to sing a solo or a special so the light shines on you. The light's supposed to shine through us. Amen? not on us. We need to understand what we're doing if we're teaching and preaching. You're teaching seventh grade boys. You go, well, there's only three of them. You need to understand what you're doing. It's not about you. It's not about you. Helmut Felke has one of the weirdest names of any preacher or theologian ever. Would you agree with me? I'm just going to call him H.T. for the rest of this story. H.T. was a preacher in Germany, a theologian. He was pastoring in Germany during World War II. His church was destroyed and one day, after his, right after his church had been destroyed, he got a call that uh, a man in his church had been killed by a bomb. He rushed to the site where the wife was looking down in a pit, crying. He walks up to her. She looks at him. She said, they listen to what she said. They found pieces of my husband 
in that pit. H.T. Helmet said, what do you say? I mean, they don't train you in seminary how to say something to someone who just found a piece of their husband in a pit when a bomb has gone off. So he said, I held her and we stood there for a moment. And she looked at me and she said, I want to thank you. Oh, my goodness. Is this sarcasm? What do you you mean you want to thank me? She said, we heard the last sermon you preached in the church before it was destroyed by bombs. And because of you and God using you, my husband who died in this pit was ready for eternity because of what you said that day. You see, when you preach or you teach, you're dealing with eternity. Do we understand? Do we understand and grasp what we're doing? Preaching and teaching Well, it's just a Bible study at my home. You're dealing with eternity. It's wonderfully serious work. Here's the second thing. we got to speak with an awe and a fear of God. Now, again, some of you are going, well, I'm not going to ever teach or preach. You listen to it. You need to know what to identify in people who are doing it right or who are not doing it right. Verse 5 again, it says, they have this required reverence from them, and they greatly revered and stood in awe of me. The word reverence in the New Living Translation here is easily translated fear. But listen, it's, it's a fear that ought to be. It's a respect and a holy fear. Cindy and I were watching with one of our grandkids a few weeks ago a show, maybe it was, maybe it was last week, about sharks. And I just get so tickled, these liberal shark lovers. Uh, somebody gets mauled. I mean, they drag them out of the water with no legs, no arms, and even their snorkel's been bit off, and they're defending the shark. Oh, the shark is peace-loving. The shark thought it was a seal. The shark never meant to harm a human. Is that not the silliest bunch of stuff you've ever heard? And, and, and you know what? I have a holy unholy fear of a shark. If I see a fin, Peter, Jesus, and me are all walking on water to get out of the gulf. (laughs) That's normal. And listen, I I think you ought to have a healthy fear of a snake uh, until you can identify it with a shotgun after you've identified it with a shotgun. You need to have... And listen, you, you, you know what? When you and I get up to speak for Jesus Christ... Well, it's a Bible study in my home with some women. When you're speaking for Jesus Christ, there needs to be a holy fear. I'm God's messenger. Malachi means my messenger. His name literally meant I am the messenger of God. There ought to be a holy awe and fear that I'm standing or I'm sitting maybe, whatever, and I'm doing this for Jesus Christ. That's powerful. There needs to be an understanding an awe and a fear of God. Here's the third thing. We need to speak the Word of God accurately to people. I'm going to explain that wordy thought. We need to speak the Word of God accurately to people. Look in verse 6. They passed on to the people the truth. That word truth means the certainty of the instructions. That's the law of God, the Word of God they received from me. They didn't lie or cheat. We'll talk about that more in just a moment. Verse 7, the words of the priest's lips should preserve the knowledge of God. And people should go to them for instruction. You know, when when you're teaching that Bible, when you're preaching the Bible, if you're a preacher, you're going to be. Man, you're trying to instruct people in the truths of God and point them to God. 
and help them have an understanding and a knowledge of God. Look in verse 9. This is a, a significant verse. So I, I've made you despised and humiliated in the eyes of all the people. That's our memory verse next month. For you have not obeyed me, but you showed favoritism in the way you carry out my instruction. Favoritism means partiality. Here's what God's saying. If you're teaching a Bible study class or if you're a preacher, you, treat, you, you need to speak the word of God, the truth of God. You, you don't need to do it partially. You don't need to hide things. You don't need to just teach or preach your favorite subject. Some people do that repetitively over and over and over again. But we do it for people. Folks, your Bible study class on Sunday or Tuesday night in our sermons aren't history lessons of the Old and New Testament. Amen? This is not about me showing you I can say a Greek word. How does that help you? It's not about impressing people. It's about instructing people and inspiring people and motivating people. When I first surrendered to preach, I had a wonderful uncle named Fred. Fred was a mechanic on the gas station. Fred told me this. He said, Chris, I love my pastor, but I don't really want to hear 45 minutes about Hezekiah. I want to know what Hezekiah did and how that can apply and help me in my life today. I've never forgotten those words. Here's something I pray, and you can pray for me. And here's something if you're a teacher that you can pray for yourself every time you get up to speak. God, help me to, help me to share the Scriptures correctly. I need to share, you need to share the, the, the Word of God correctly. Would you agree with that? But I also say this, God, help me to say it and say it through me where it's practical and applies to their life. I have failed, you have failed as a teacher, if we don't share the Word of God correctly and also in a way that you can take it and do something with it. Does that make sense? So we want to we share the Word of God and we share it for people. I, I read this this week and I thought it was interesting. After 9-11 where you had so many different emergency groups coming together, probably from all over the Northeast to help out at the, the, the trade centers. They realized a lot of the codes that fire departments and police departments, especially when you intermingled them, was, was confusing. And, and I know in Dallas several years ago they did this, where, where a Dallas policeman might pull up and say, hey, we got a Code 7 on Highland Avenue. Now they just simply say we have a minor accident on Highland Avenue. They're trying to simplify things. Listen, when you teach or preach... Don't try to impress people. Try to inspire people. Try to let God use you to correctly apply his truths to their heart. We speak the word of God to people. Isn't that a wonderful, neat thing, too? Here's the fourth thing, and I think you'll agree with me on this. If you're going to teach or preach, you need to be the right kind of person. You want me to be. You know what? If you're going to teach the Bible in my church where I'm the pastor, I want you to be too. In verse 6, the last part of it, they did not lie or cheat. They, they walked with me. These Levites originally were honest. They walked with God. They lived good and righteous lives. And by doing this, they turned many people from their sins. Wow, isn't that awesome? That's what God wants from you and me. Occasionally, I will hear something like this. Well, you know, that, that pastor, I've heard this about Sunday, that person's Sunday school teacher, you know, they're kind of mean. They're kind of mean, but they're a good preacher. Well, that Sunday school teacher, they're good. They're just rebellious, and they'll fight everybody in the church. 
I've heard this too. I've heard this in the last 10 years. Well, so-and-so, they're real liberal. They don't really believe the Bible, but boy, they're Christ-like. Well, good. Let them sit in a pew and get it right. They don't need to be preaching. You don't need to be teaching in our Bible studies. If you don't believe the Bible, go sell comic books. But, but you don't need to be teaching in my Sunday school classes. Amen? Dr. Henry Heimlich. We got a picture of him. What do you think Dr. Heimlich is, is known for? <laughs> Inventing the ping pong ball? <laughs> Dr. Heimlich invented the Heimlich maneuver. Thank you. Apparently in the 70s, he came. I don't know. It would be really interesting to find out how he did. He was a thoracic surgeon. I guess maybe he was doing surgery and he just got frustrated and boom, hit somebody and a noodle came flying out or something. I don't know. Dr. Heimlich, probably this, he's probably, millions of people may have been saved because of this. One time our daughter was choking, Alicia. I thought she was, she was sixth grade, she was choking. I looked at Cindy and she, she choked and said, yep, I think so. <laughs> so I grabbed her and I went to, poof, poof. boy, she, she had swallowed a chewable vitamin. That's not smart. It shot out of there for squirrel. I think it went out in a window and hit a squirrel and killed it. There was so much force. Dr. Heimlich never used the Heimlich maneuver on anybody until he was 96 years old. In the nursing home, an 87-year-old fellow resident's choking, and doctor, wouldn't it have been, you want Dr. Heimlich with you if you're choking. He jumps up and does the Heimlich maneuver on her and saves her life. Isn't it good to know the guy who invented it, practiced it? it? It is to me. I think that's a pretty neat thing. Listen to this, Roman orator Marcus Fabius Quintilian. Listen to what he said. He, he said, a good speaker is a good man who speaks well. A good speaker is not a person who just speaks well. It's not just a good man. Be, be true about a, a good coach is one who's a good person who coaches well or, or, or a good However you want to play it out, a good teacher is one who's a good person who teaches well. And biblically in uh, the church, whether it's a preacher or a teacher, it's someone who fundamentally is who they need to be and who does a good job with it. Did you know in our church, uh, we haven't done it in a while, we probably need to. For years we, we've had a, a little piece of paper we asked Sunday School Connection Group teachers to sign that has our statement of faith on it and a few simple things that... You know, you're going to try not to kill anybody while you're a teacher here and things like that. And, you know, we've, we honestly, we got some pushback, people not wanting to sign that. Hey, a teacher, you got a huge responsibility. If you teach at this church, it's not your gig. It's God's and the church's gig. You know what? I preach at this church. This is God and this church's gig. Do you know that? I can't just get up and say or do whatever I want to. I'm, I'm, a, I'm under authority. A teacher and a preacher needs to be fundamentally sound. Now, let me give you the negative part of this. You always get excited about that. Preachers and teachers are going to be judged more strictly. Everybody wants to teach. Everybody wants to preach. James 3.1 is discouraging. James 3.1 says, Dear brothers and sisters, not many of you should become teachers in the church. 
For the pay is not good. No, it doesn't say that, does it? It says, for we who teach will be, read that with me, will be judged more strictly. And folks, don't think that's just talking about the pulpit. That's talking about people in Bible study classes, in the youth group, with the children. will be judged more strictly. That shouldn't discourage you, but it ought to make you aware. Let me give you a couple of thoughts on this. Why is this true? Because, one, we can dishonor God pretty bad. Verse 8, But if you priests have left God's path, your instruction has caused many to stumble into sin. You have corrupted the covenant I made with the Levites. Listen, everybody in this room who's a Christian, we can dishonor God's name. But you know, when you've got, when you've got a, a microphone or you've got a, a platform, you up the ante on that. Do you know that? When you're a preacher or a teacher or when you're a minister, or you're leading a Bible study class. Some of you got pretty big Bible study classes you lead. The microscope gets stronger on you. And if we bend off in our teachings or we bend off in our life, we can bring dishonor to the name of God. That's serious, isn't it? Here's the second part, and just goes hand in glove with that. Not only that, not only dishonor God, we lead people down the wrong path. We lead people down the wrong road. If you don't communicate well, one thing, you can lead people down the wrong road. Would you agree with that? I, I don't know if this is true or not. Will Sanders, who's a doctor, told me this, so it has to be true. In New Jersey... Uh, Several years ago, two men were out in the woods hunting, and one of them, they were together, and one of them fell down. Poof. And his friend called 911, and he said, I think my, I think my friend's dead. And the 911 operator said, well, and he said, what do I do? And the, the operator said, well, I guess make sure they're dead. He said, okay. Second went by, and she heard, boom. And came back and said, he's dead now for sure. <laughs> Communica- that's not true. Communication, I hope. Communication is, is huge. How you can influence and how you can impact. I want to read verse 8 again. But you priests have left God's past by their teaching in their life. You have corrupted the covenant. You have caused many to stumble in sin. Verse 9. I have made you despised and humiliated in the eyes of all the people, for you have not obeyed me. You've showed favoritism in the way you carry out my instructions. Listen carefully. There's a lot of partial teaching going on today. You're going to preach or you're going to teach. You better teach the truth, and you better be willing to teach all of it. If you don't believe there's a hell, that is, that is your right to believe that. It's not your right to teach that at First Baptist Ruston. You believe there's multiple ways to heaven, that's your right to believe that. You're, you can't teach that here but one time. And I want to tell you, those preachers that are out there telling people there's multiple ways to God, someday there's going to be a reckoning for that because people are going to die and go to hell without Christ because of that. And then we have people and we have preachers today, and I'm not trying to kick one sin, but are saying that that gay marriage is okay and God's for it, and they're getting all these new revelations and these new leadings that it's right. You know what? That's wrong. And you better believe there's going to be a reckoning for that someday. 
You see, by the way we live as a teacher or a preacher and what we say, man, we can bring great harm and great destruction on other people. We need to remember that. Let me tell you the last thing. God's going to get us <laughs> if we go down this bad route. God will get us. I want to read verse 1 through 4. Pay attention. These are curious verses. Listen, you priest. We could say this with you preachers, you teachers. This command is for you. Listen to me and make up your minds to honor my name. God's saying straighten it out, says the Lord of heaven's armies. Or I'm going to bring a terrible curse on you. I will curse even the blessings you receive. Indeed, I've cursed them already because you will not take my warning to heart. I will punish your descendants. I will splatter your faces with manure. You, you listening? Another memory verse. From your festival sacrifice, I'm going to throw you on the manure pile. God's hot. Then at last you will know it was I who sent you this warning to my covenant with the Levites. Continue, says the Lord of heaven's army. This week I'm studying this passage. And you can tell these are some scholarly people. And they're, they're talking about that verse for, for God to smear. See, when they do a sacrifice, they would take the, the manure outside of the camp and burn it. Okay? And they were saying, for God to smear manure on their face was going to make them ceremonially unclean, and they would have to leave the camp. And I'm thinking, you don't have to go into that. Any redneck knows you smear manure on any part of someone, that's not good, is it? That is not a sign of affection in Louisiana, Texas, or Tennessee, I guarantee you. (laughs) I'm just, here's what God's saying. (laughs) God's saying, when you teach or you preach, you... You hire a new preacher someday. You better make sure they're not going to be perfect, but they're trying to walk it. And you better make sure biblically they're hoeing the line properly. And we have a responsibility to make sure people teaching in our Bible study classes aren't doing it perfectly, but they're doing it according to the truth because the stakes are high. And sooner or later, God's going to come out with the paddle and the manure, and he's going to get you. That's what the Bible says. You see, if you want to be a teacher or a preacher, man, that's great if that's what God wants you to do. And you need to do it if that's what God wants you to do. But don't ever forget, the bar is high. The bar is high. The bar is high. I hope it's a long time from now, but let's say someday I die in some kind of bluebell little Debbie accident. (laughs) And it comes time to get a new preacher. You better explore him well. And I did say him. You need to explore him well. You need to find out what he believes, and, and, and not that he's perfect, but that he's trying to do what's right. I read this in a, a Baptist newspaper in another state about six months ago. The coward sent in an anonymous letter, and they printed it, which is horrible. And this preacher was mad because he had interviewed for some pulpit committees, and they were asking him particular things about his beliefs. And he said, you shouldn't do that. You need to hire me and accept me and let me teach you and minister to you. Baloney! You're going to hire a preacher, you better ask him everything you can on the front end because you're going to be stuck with him when he moves here. And you better believe he owes you an explanation about what he believes about the Bible. Because teaching and preaching, whether it's in the pulpit or in the classroom, is serious wonderfully serious business i'm gonna preach to you one second you're not a christian the word of god says you need to come tonight and give your life to christ when we stand in a moment i want you to do that 
Maybe, maybe it's time to join the church. God's leading you to. You've been thinking about it. You can come when we sing or you can come after church and join. We'd love for you to. You're here tonight. You're a teacher. You're going to be a preacher. We've got some preachers here. You're just a Christian who loves the Lord. Man, are, are, you, are you trying to do the right things with God? If you're not, repent of that. Get things right with God tonight. Let's stand. You come. You come as we sing.